Today we continue on, starting from the bottom of page 30, in the book Coffee, A Connoisseur's Companion by Claudia Rodin. As coffee declined in England in the 18th century, it found a new favor in Germany, where for many years it had been an indication of high social status. The new favor came from within the enlightened middle classes, and the impetus for the spread of the drink came especially from women. The new burger class of women recently arrived from country to town, freed from work in the fields, found that the Kaffeeklatsch was the ideal place to enjoy their newfound freedom and leisure. It is in this arena that they tentatively entered the world of ideas and discussed Geth and Beethoven as well as babies and scandal. Talk which was termed coffee gossip by a society which felt threatened by and perhaps a little jealous of the new feminine liberation. So popular did the drink become that throughout the 19th century, Germany was far ahead of the rest of Europe in coffee consumption. Coffee had replaced flour soup and beer for breakfast. It was sipped at mealtimes and at Sunday afternoon family outings in the spacious cafes that became a lively feature of every German city. As famous for their newspapers and magazines, as for their delectable pastries. Coffee had come to America with immigration since the early 18th century. The first coffee houses were modeled after the London ones, but they were more like taverns and inns, serving liquor and meals as well as coffee, tea and chocolate, and even letting rooms. Less joyous and more Puritan in character than their European prototypes, they were more devoted to work and business than to witty, idle talk. Like the London coffee houses, they were an important part of the life of the country as gathering places for merchants and businessmen. The more important ones had special meeting rooms. These long rooms, a feature which distinguished coffee houses from taverns, were used for meetings of merchants, colonial magistrates and overseers, and all types of public and private business. Occasionally, court trials or auctions were held here, and they were also places of mercantile insurance where records were held and ships bought and sold. The Chamber of Commerce held sessions in a New York upper long room. Men carried on their business at the coffee house and went on to the tavern for fun. Eventually, they became purely mercantile buildings, while their social and gastronomic functions were divided between clubs, restaurant, and hotels. At first, only a drink for the well-to-do except in sips, coffee languished for a time in America, while tea rose in favor. It gained an immense impetus following King George's Stamp Act of 1765, the tea tax of 1767, and the resulting boycott, boycott of tea, which was responsible for making the Americans a nation of coffee drinkers. It was at the Boston Tea Party of 1773 when the citizens of Boston boarded the British ships waiting in the harbor and threw all the British East India tea cargoes overboard that coffee was crowned, once and for all, the king of the American breakfast table. It was here, too, that coffee became forever linked for the Americans with the War of Independence, with liberty and democracy. Spain was the last country in Europe to adopt coffee houses. The innovative drink had not only to compete with taverns that sold wine and brandy, but with establishments selling horchata, a refreshing cold white drink made from crushed tiger nuts, and especially with those selling chocolate, 
which the Spaniards had discovered in South America in the 16th century. It was only in the early 19th century that cafes opened selling the foreign drink coffee, which became the drink of intellectuals and left-wing political dissidents. Anarchists and socialist revolutionaries were famously associated with cafes. Chocolate, co chocolate shops remained the haunts of traditionalists and priests and the conservative right-wing. In the last decades of the century, cafes displaced the traditional chocolate shops, and by the 20th century, Spanish cities, like most cities right across Europe, all had their coffee houses. We are seeing a renaissance of the fashion of the coffee house all over the world. As an example of the trend, in Vienna, where many of the old coffee houses closed in the 60s and 70s because people were more attracted by inns and bars, Coffee houses have been rediscovered by the young and many have reopened, often in the old spot. They are attracting young people again and have re-established their old role as meeting places. Poison or Elixir In an English newspaper advertisement of 1657, Coffee was described as having many excellent virtues, closes the orifice of the stomach, fortifies the heart within, helpeth digestion, quickeneth the spirits, maketh the heart lightsome, is good against eyesores, coughs or colds, rheums, consumptions, headache, dropsy, gout, scurvy, king's evil, and many others. As for the way to use it, this electuary medicine mixed with honey was devised. Take equal quantity of butter and salad oil, melt them together but not boil them, then stir them well that they may incorporate together. Then melt therewith three times as much honey and stir it well together. Then add thereunto powder of Turkish coffee to make it a thick electuary. Coffee was regarded as a medicine from its very beginning. This prejudice, which must have killed the pleasures to be had, was often reversed, but for modems that were not always related to health. When a thesis was put forward by the physicians of Marseille in 1679, that the vile and worthless foreign novelty, the fruit of a tree discovered by goats and camels, burned up the blood, induced palsies, impotence and leanness, hurtful to the greater part of the inhabitants of Marseille, they were, it appears, influenced by the local wine merchants. Variously described as an elixir of life as well as a poison, controversy has always raged over its effects. Threats, however, usually seem to have fallen on deaf ears. A familiar response being Voltaire's, I have been poisoning myself for more than 80 years, and I am not yet dead. Even Bach wrote a coffee cantata in 1732, mocking a physician's campaign to discredit coffee in Germany. Among various investigations carried out over the years to settle the controversy, a notable one was made in Sweden in the 18th century. Identical twin brothers were condemned to death for murder. King Gustav III commuted their sentences to life imprisonment on condition that one twin be given a large daily dose of tea and the other of coffee. The tea drinker died first at the age of 83. The question was settled, and today the Swedish people are amongst the world leaders in coffee consumption. 
I will leave off here today in the middle of page 34 to be continued another morning. Thank you for joining me.